0: I'm going to tell you a story right now of today's guest. He's Canadian. That is a good story. Uh, No, it's actually a much better story than that. He's a Canadian communications expert and public speaking coach. And let me tell you, for me, a podcaster, to lose my thought and be at a loss for words... In an interview with someone that specializes in effective communication? Want to know if I recovered? Take a listen to this episode. It's very interesting. That's right, folks. I, Greg Bornstein, went radio silent on something that is literally as close to a radio as you can possibly get today. It's all coming up on Open Loops, Conversations That Bend. I consider it an affront to my family that you haven't heard about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, okay let me let me just lay this out for you. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer and and get this, okay. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money, moolah, from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Craving some intellectual stimulation. You're looking to go on a head trip, looking to expand your brain, but you don't know where you're going to land. Well, there's a special spot in your head. The spot between the promise and the reality, the setup and the punchline, the knowing and the unknowing, infinite curiosity, a shamelessly fringe landscape inside your head, between your ears mixed with the fun and charisma of late night talk show. That's right. It's open loops, conversations that bend. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Chief Looper, Greg Bornstein. Today, we have this man who I love talking with. Uh, I love talking with him. Mainly, I loved being talked to by him because my gosh, You would think if you're a public speaking coach, you're going to be podcast gold. And it turns out he was like, you know, I I do this show. I'm talking about hypnosis. I'm talking about time travel and UFOs. And then they have this guy come on and be like, yeah, I'm going to have a deep conversation with you about communication. Sometimes I wonder. I wondered if it was possible. He was up for the challenge. And let me tell you, he definitely brought some stuff to the communications, the applied communications field, i.e., stand up straight, speak loudly, keep focused on your topic, address the audience—all this stu- the simple stuff, simple stuff—totally went beyond that. His YouTube channel, Master Talks. He's Brendan from Master Talks. It's a very popular YouTube channel. He really has tangible, great advice, and I just think it was a pleasant interview to experience. And you're going to really love listening and learning. So Brendan, thank you for coming on. Uh, I I really hope all of you enjoy this interview. Please, if you want more open loops, subscribe, share this episode with your friends. If you're looking for, you know, some people have issues with public speaking. um, This is definitely a great episode to share around. So please do share it, leave a review. Rate this podcast. Definitely helps us keep these episodes going, gets it out there. And now, without further ado, Brendan from Master Talks. All right. Today on Open Loops. I I always tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I always tell you, we bring people from all different spectrums of life, you know, like you don't always just need a UFO expert to make things interesting. Um, And I knew this guy would be interesting. I watched his videos, totally resonates with what I'm all about. Today, we have Brendan from Master Talk, the YouTube channel, very popular YouTube channel about public speaking. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, Craig. It's the honor is mine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm very curious, sort of. uh, First of all, there's a lot of pressure right now because you have a video. I was watching a video today that was like how to ask better questions. (laughs) I got crap. I need to like have the best stuff for Brendan in the world right now. Um, But that said, let me let me see if I can, like, you know, just kind of ease into this a little bit. Um, how do you these days? I mean, I, I was I couldn't find too much stuff about this. So, uh, you know, I I'm curious, how do you go from someone that, you know, you seem to be You you mentioned you're in the consulting space, you're in the business space um, was public speaking always part of your journey or did you have like kind of a moment where you really started to channel your energy into doing more of that presentational work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Greg. It's a good way of starting off the conversation. So I'd say the short answer, it's, it's, it's a mix of both. So my first exposure to public speaking was when I was five. My, my parents looked at me and they said, well, Brendan, you need to go to a French school. And I kind of just looked at them and I said, what do you mean French school? And the reason they were saying that, Craig, was I was I was born and raised in a city called Montreal up in Canada.
0: Love it. Right. Love Montreal. It's yeah, awesome. Montreal's
1: awesome. That's why I haven't left ever since. But <laughs> Yeah. But what not many people know, for, for those who are listening, Montreal is one of the few cities in the world where most people in the city are either bilingual or trilingual. So there's very few people in the city who actually only speak one language. They either speak two or three. So I knew English, of course, as you probably tell, but my my parents looked at me and they said, look, man, if you want to stay in the city, you got to learn French. So that's why they sent me to French school. So of course, I'm very grateful for that today. I do speak the language. But the issue with that, Craig, was my whole life, not only was I uncomfortable with presentations, I had to give them in a language I didn't even know. Wow. So I was standing up there in grade one or two, I would look at the crowd and just go, Bonjour! And yes, that,
0: <laughs> yes,
1: and that was pretty much my exposure for public speaking. So, in other words, the last thing on my mind was to be a YouTuber a communication coach of all things. Yeah, and that really shifted after I went to university. So, what happened at university? Uh, I went to business school. Back back to what you're saying about consulting. So, that was my dream job essentially back then, and. The, the way that you get this, the best way to get that job is to do these things called case competitions. So think mm. of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So right. Other, yeah, It's kind of weird. Yeah, think of it like uh, how other guys my age, maybe not the two of us, but most guys, they would focus on sports, you know, like soccer or football or rugby or something. As you can probably tell, actually, you can't tell because I'm on video, but I'm not a very muscular guy. It's not. Sports was never really my thing. So <laughs> right. Right. So instead, what I did was I applied the same competitive spirit that I had in presentations. So in three years, I presented over 500 times, coached dozens of people on communications. And by the time I had landed my job in, I guess, corporate Canada in this case, rather than corporate America, I just asked myself the next question on the list, which is, what do I do with my life now? I got out of poverty. My, my parents don't have to worry about money anymore. I don't have to worry about that anymore. What can I do for everyone else? And the unintended consequence of going through all of those competitions, Craig, is without me realizing it, I was the youngest professional speech coach in the world because I started training CEOs of companies when I was 23. So I kind of just said, oh, wait a minute. All of the YouTube content on public speaking is trash. Like all this is bad and nobody's sharing this information for free. So I didn't wow. think much of it, man. I just started making videos in my basement. My mother's basement in particular. I thought it was a stupid idea. But then after a couple of months passed, uh, the YouTube channel got a lot more traction than I thought it would. And here we are today.
0: Wow. Now wait a minute. Like I, I I I need to dive into this a little bit more. You can absolutely dive in. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, what did you like? Like, well, first of all, I definitely want to know about, you know, what the what the trash of the other channels is. Like, I want to know like why they're not teaching the right stuff, first of all, because I will say your stuff does seem a little more uh you definitely talk about like topics that are a little more nuanced than a lot of the standard run-in-the-mill public speaking stuff for sure, which I appreciate. Um, and we'll get more into that. But like, what do you what do you owe to your success of being in your early 20s and being able to tell people things about like presenting publicly? Because here's the thing, Brendan, it's like to say that you're an expert at a young age and getting in front of an audience is a bold thing to state. It is unless people see it in action, you know, like like to to do it and then start being like, and I can coach you on it. It, it makes you very bold, uh, definitely makes you a better public speaker, ultimately, too, or just an assumed authority, which people are always trying to get in their niche. I mean, do you think was it like where a lot of was your name getting spread around as like, oh, this guy's a great speaker? Did you just like really start honing in on specific techniques? Like, what do you think really lent to young early success?
1: Right. L- lots of great comments there, Craig. So I think a good place of starting there is the one habit that I always recommend that nobody else talks about that drives me insane. That's pretty much led to, to the success that I have today, or I guess relative success. And the habit is not yoga. It's not meditation. It's not eating the right things, but rather asking yourself a hard question about life every single day. Wow. And I'll get you started what are you pretending not to know if you had all of the money in the world how would you spend your time and if you died tomorrow what would your funeral speech say about you the difference between me and everyone else craig is not that i'm more special not that i'm more important not that i'm more successful the difference is that i asked the questions that most people never ask in their lifetimes at a very very young age So I wrote my own funeral speech when I was probably 21 years old, and I just asked myself and constantly questioned the rules of society. And I'll give you the best example of that why are we saving up for retirement at 65? If Steve Jobs died at 56, Kobe Bryant died at 41, Chadwick Boseman, who was the guy in Black Panther died at 43. Why are we trying to get married, have two and a half kids, not two kids? You need to add a 0.5 to that. And for some (laughs) reason, we have a white picket fence as if we're not allowed to choose the color of our fence. And we have to have two cars, not one as if one wasn't enough. Who makes all these decisions? And what you'll realize, I'll kind of give the punchline away, as you ask yourself hundreds of questions, as I've done consistently over my life, you realize that everything is made up, right? Everything is yeah. made up. From the podcast that you have, from the concept that I use on the YouTube channel, from the way that you have breakfast, why don't you eat eggs with your hands? Like, who made that decision, right? When you dive into all of these concepts, you realize that everything ma- is made up. So the only thing left to do is to make up your own story about how you want your life to go. Right? So when I yeah. got to that place in my life, what, what the, the, the gift that that gives you is you then start to question every conventional wisdom until you find something important worth doing. And back to your point about what I didn't like about the industry. So just, just to, to give context feel because what you said was absolutely right. Like I am definitely the youngest in the sector right now. Everyone else either has a PhD or has been doing this for at least a decade. And the average age of a speech coach is much older than me. It's at least mid thirties, if not higher. Mm. Right. So, so how, what do I know that they don't? And, there's a couple of things, but I think the big one for anyone listening right now is it doesn't take a genius to make a change in the world. All you need to do is be one chapter ahead of the next person. If I wanted to learn how to do podcasts, I would ask you, Craig, you've done more than one episode. That's enough for you to teach me what you know. Likewise, if you want to get better at YouTube, asking me probably gives you some guidance on how to do things. Being an expert just means that you know something that somebody else doesn't that adds value, period, right? So now building on that, what are some of the issues that I've seen in the industry? So one is just boring. Like most of the content is academic, It's dry, it's mundane, and portrays this picture that public speaking is a chore. It's some robotic mechanism that you're supposed to do rather than a vehicle to make change, a vehicle to share an idea, a vehicle to make a difference. That's one easy one. Another one I can give you is, you know, every speech coach always starts their workshops with the following. Did you know, Craig, that after death, public speaking fear rampages society and then they obviously I'm cartooning here a bit, but the point that I'm driving is that public speaking fear, let's step back two seconds on this one. If our goal is to help people achieve this, if our goal is to help people overcome it, the last thing I want to talk about in a workshop is the fear of public speaking, comparing it to death. How is that going to help anybody? (laughs) Makes no
0: sense. So it's yeah. true. I was wondering about that statistic. is that it, I mean, that's the Jerry Seinfeld joke, right? That's like the uh, that's the cl- the classic joke about you'd rather be in the casket than deliver the eulogy. And I feel like every public speaker person talks uh, uses that constantly. And I'm like, first of all, are those statistics still true? because like COVID's pretty bad right now. i I, I think that's high up there.
1: Um, <laughs> but the point of driving, Craig is even if it is true, what's the point of matching it you're not adding value to anyone you're not encouraging
0: people to do anything right right so do you take like a very yeah i that's interesting i kind of wonder about then sort of your approach when you work with a person one on one like because it seems that at least in my understanding of the way this kind of coaching goes, it's like, I need to work on public speaking. So I have to go to Toastmasters and I need to really like, it's a thing to fix. But when you're coming from a more transformational angle, like, Hey, public speaking is the vehicle to get my message across. Like, are you, are you using that to tap into some, Innate abilities that the person already has, as opposed to like running them just through drills. Or I'm just sort of curious, like how you approach that as an actual trainer of this stuff and coach.
1: Right, and and I absolutely love the question. It's very well stated. So so the way that I think about this is, you're right. My approach is completely different. So let's say I was coaching you. The first question I would ask you is the following: How would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? Mm. And most people, right, would say something like, uh, you know, like I uh, would get a promotion at work and then, and then I would always respond like, wait, slow down. You do realize that public speaking, not you directly, but to the audience, you do realize that public speaking is not at all, has very little to presentations. It's everything. It's the tough conversations you have with your spouse or husband or children or you know, partner or family member. It's the dinners that you have with the people that you love, it's the walks that you take, it's the friendships that you make, it's everything from the business <laughs> negotiations to the random stranger that you meet on on in a foreign country. Yeah. Once we get clear on this idea that communication is everything in and everything that you do. Then what happens is your answer to that question, how would the world change if you're an exceptional communicator, gets a lot more detailed, gets a lot more specific, and incentivizes you to say, hey, wait a second, being a communicator is not about me speaking in front of a thousand people, it's about me making my life better. And once I have a clear understanding of what that world is, like fighting less with the people that I love and understanding, because a lot of those issues come from miscommunication, or just being clear about what you want in life and and communicating that so that your dreams come true, then you're going to be a lot more interested in practicing communication rather than viewing it as a chore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm wondering right now if you like ever outsource work anymore <laughs> because you've made basically managed to convince me in this moment, which again, I, I give you kudos for your skills, Brendan, uh, that like everything I could possibly ever have an issue with could be related to public speaking. I'm like, wait a minute. So this guy needs to be my therapist. He needs to be my doctor. He needs to be my lawyer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, he, what, but no, in, in all seriousness, I do think that you, uh, you make a really good point, And I do wonder, like, Man, when you're working with people, and I know it's different in a one-on-one versus a corporate environment, but like psychologically, how deep does it sometimes go with people?
1: It goes really deep, especially I can give you some examples that come to mind. So there, there's this one guy I was speaking to. I think it was my sister was speaking to him or something. And, and he was explaining why he wants to learn English, like why he wants to get better, like communicating the language. So once again, this is not uh, speaking in front of a thousand people. So we ask him the first question, like, why do you want to do this? And then he would say something like, well, I need to get my visa. I go, okay, you want to get your permanent residency? That's fine. Then what? What's the next reason? Oh, well, I do better at work. And then we ask him a series of questions. Then we land on this well, you know, Brendan, I've always wanted to travel with my wife and show her the world. It's just, I wasn't really good at English, so I couldn't lead her in that way. But if I was really good at English, I could be the leader. I could show her the way and I could tr- help show her the world, essentially. Mm-hmm. That is the reason that I was looking for. That is why we want to master communication. So, so much like that example, Craig, there's definitely a bunch of stuff like that. Like, uh, I'll give you another example. Podcasters, I mean you as a host, like the difference between you making impact on, let's say, a hundred people versus a hundred million people, is exactly what you're doing right now. It's phenomenal communication, right? It's the ability to convey a message in such a unique way that people just have to tune into your show and not everyone else's, right? Right. So, So everything ties. Like, for example, a good way of putting this every goal that you can ever have, whether it's starting a family, I don't know, knowing how to cook. Uh, being on a sports team being in theater i know we talked about that earlier
0: yeah
1: all of those goals in some form or another tie into communication you just need to find that link for yourself
0: right 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 yeah sorry i uh i yeah i i i I'm just thinking about I'm thinking about like what is the impact i'm trying to make with this show man um <laughs> yeah no i mean i think the deep questions it's so interesting that you go so deep in general um and you're also teaching people to ask the deep questions of you know in in interviews in sort of i mean how do you how do you segment your work like do you look at do you do you have sort of differentiation in terms of like here's me teaching you how to do a presentation here's me teaching you how to do a job interview how like do you have different categories in mind or does it all fit the same thing still
1: Right. And and I've thought about this as well. And I, I would say the general approach that I take is I try and make it as universal as possible. Like I try and avoid topics like how do you present better as an executive of X company, right? I try and avoid that stuff because I mm. want my principles to live on forever. That's the goal anyways. In the same way Dale Carnegie's work has lit- done for a long period of time. So, so the idea is I always try and keep it general. So for example, let's say one of my videos that you mentioned on how to ask great questions, the principles I teach in that video, and we I'm happy to talk about them if you want me to, but, but the idea yeah, is,
0: yeah, what yeah way, I love it. I love yeah. to have my public ear. Yeah.
1: Right. But the, the approach to that, and then I'll explain it is the, the principles. It doesn't really matter who you are or what you do. Even if I give some company specific example, just to, Show it tangibly. All, those principles apply for anybody. And basically, what I say in that video is the best way to ask great questions is to ask yourself even harder ones. Right. So if you mm. ask, oh wow, that's actually really good. I need to take a note on that. After <laughs> like, that, and, <laughs> yeah. and I create stuff as I as I speak sometimes. But but the idea is, if you ask yourself extremely hard questions about life, it's going to be much easier, and you'll be a lot more comfortable asking the questions that no one is willing to or dare to ask. So one of those questions that I mentioned in the video is from Peter Thiel, who's the founder of PayPal. Yeah. And the question is, which you probably know, is what is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you on? The challenge with that question, and an equally beautiful part about the question, is that it forces you to think outside of conventional wisdom. It forces you to think controversially, like it it basically forces you to say something that most people don't agree with you on. And that is where all the innovation lies. It's just most people aren't willing to answer the question because they don't want to be controversial. They want to fit in. They want Craig to like them. They want everybody to like them. So they don't want to try and create something new. And that's why most people don't have that innovative mindset because they're not willing to ask themselves their controversial beliefs. Like if everyone did that in the world, we would have a lot more ideas and a lot more innovation.
0: Right. I was going to say, I was wondering like how you, if you remember any key moments where you did find an answer for one of those questions you asked yourself. And then once you did, you asked it to somebody else. And then you saw that evolution in communication. Like, do you, do you recall any of those times specifically, like when you were really finding this identity for yourself?
1: 100%. The, Absolutely, that's probably a daily thing. Like, for example, the one of the questions I asked that I got from a guy named Lewis House, who's the host of the School of Greatness podcast. Right, right. He asked this question called the Three Truths that you're probably familiar with, and basically, how the question goes is: It's your last day on Earth. You've achieved everything you wanted to do, but for some reason that we don't understand, everything that you've written, done, or said gets erased. So, which means we have nothing to remember you by, which is very unfortunate, Mm. but luckily for you, there's a piece of paper right next to you where you can write three things that you believe to be true about the world. And only those three things will be passed on to the next generation. Of people to learn from you? What do you want those three things to be? That question was what started my journey in asking a lot of harder questions about life. And I think I've spent maybe two, three years thinking about that one. But whenever I I talk to other people and I share my answers, but I ask them for theirs, they always have trouble coming up with an answer. So it always helps them. It pushes them out of their comfort zone to say, oh, I should really think about this. And that's and and through that, I've I've helped a lot of people just gain direction of what they actually wanted in life versus what society tells them to want.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I I have to say you have asked about like seven questions, maybe <laughs> ten on this interview. That I'm like, <laughs> I do not know how to give a good, articulate answer to this right now. Um, but I definitely need to think about it for sure. Um, do you like? I I, I guarantee that. You know, even asking people out of the blue questions like this, because I know this from personal experience as a provocateur of sense, <laughs> in a sense, um, you know, people will be like, what kind of a question is that? What you think I can answer that right now? Like what? Like people have given me kind of their default responses. Do you have ways that you soften those kind of intense questions that still allow them the room to want to open them upon like a first encounter?
1: <laughs> that that's a good question. The, the way that I see it, Craig, and I guess maybe I'm just uh I guess I guess I aged too quickly for my own age, but the way that I see, <laughs> right, the way that let, let's kind of phrase this differently so so people can understand where I'm coming from. Let's assume we all live for 50 years as of today. So if you're 50, you'll live until you'll live until 100. If you're 30, you'll live until 80. Let's hope you live for a lot longer, but let's let's play that as an example. Yeah. And every year, okay, you meet one person a day. So, optimistically, let's say you meet three hundred people out of the year, and you do that for another fifty. Okay, simple math. I won't. Don't worry. This won't be. There won't be an exam after. Okay, that. great. <laughs> You're like, Poof. so I'll just do the math really quickly. If you if you multiply three hundred people by fifty years, the answer is fifteen thousand people. So, out of the billions of people that are on the planet currently. You have time to talk at the very max. It's probably less than 15,000, but up to 15,000 people. That's all you get. So the question you need to ask yourself is who do you want those 15,000 people to be? And when you start asking yourself that question, Craig, you get a lot more picky about the people that you ask questions to. So in other words, what I'm saying, or build a relationship with regard, either way. So yeah. the way that I've seen it, Craig, it's not about whether people are interested in answering the question or not. It's more about seeing who is interested, who actually wants to have these conversations like you. And how do I just only talk to those people? Cause I don't have, there's so little slots in the number of humans I get to meet. So I might as well focus on the people who are interested in the deep
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how this works with my online dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just say for me, it doesn't work. So that's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> I was going to say, I I don't know how you possibly can have a deep conversation without, I mean, in general, do you think that's true? Like, like let's, let's get to down the brass tacks here, Brendan, in terms of like the way people meet each other these days sure. and, and it could be dating, but it could also be like networking on LinkedIn. Um, You know, uh, I love these kind of conversations. I mean, I truthfully, like what happened with this podcast is I'm having access to people that like, yeah, I wouldn't normally I, I mean, I love the message and I love giving people the platform like you to speak about your message, Brendan. Um, but I'm also having more conversations with people than the ones I was having via computer via facebook even texting friends like like this podcast to me is an extension of the kind of um what 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 i want my life to be i guess it is what i want my life to be and maybe life will be an extension of this actually (laughs) um so it's like do you think there is a world how does the media how does social media how does connecting via computer limit the possibilities of deep communication. And how do you think we can overcome that?
1: Mm, that's powerful. So, so the way that I think about this, Craig, and I, and I have been thinking about this a lot, especially since most of the people that I meet are at in-person events. So let's say I fly out to a random place and I go meet some people. That's how I usually build my the strongest people in the network that I have of, of just friendships and just having fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But of course, since COVID hit, it's been a lot harder to build those relationships. So I've been using different platforms. So one platform I can recommend that's free is called Say Hi right now. So basically what it does is they host events, public ones. And basically, what happens is you join a one-hour call, and you rotate and have six-minute conversations with different people. So in an hour, much like an in-person event, you can meet five to seven different people. And the people you really enjoyed speaking with, you just have you just set up um, deeper conversations with them after the events over. So so through events like that, I've been able to meet some really incredible people, including the founders of the platform. But I would say outside wow. of that, the recommendation I have to meet really cool people is to always do the thing that no one else is willing to do. So i give an example. So I knew, uh, let me explain this differently. The more that you know yourself, the easier it is for you to figure out who are the people for you. So in my case, I knew I was a very growth mindset guy. I'm the kind of person who wants to have deep philosophical questions, like answer all these weird questions, do all these yeah. weird things. But I also know that most social settings aren't set up in that way. I can't just go to a club, <laughs> look at a girl and go, so what is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you <laughs> yes, on? Yes. You're like, uh, yeah, like F you. <laughs> (laughs) right right, and uh potentially waste or drink in my face but anyways obviously this is a joke (laughs) i've never actually done that but the point that i'm driving is i then asked myself this is an exercise everyone can do on their own is make a list of your favorite hobbies your favorite interests or better your favorite people this could be acquaintances you know or heroes and just ask yourself where did those people hang out so for me Since we're talking about Lewis, Lewis Howes' podcast and who he is, Lewis is number four or five on my list of people that I personally admire, but he's the only person on the list that has his own event. So he has his own live event called Summit of Greatness in the middle of nowhere. It's in the city called Columbus in Ohio, which is in the U.S. For those right, it's right. Like middle. It's middle of nowhere. So, so last year, after I started working corporate and I started making money for the first time in my life, I wasn't a broke student anymore. Kind of just said, "Hey, I want to meet these weird people. I wonder what would happen if I went to this event." So I took a couple of days off work. I took a flight to Columbus, and that three day event, Craig. I'm not. I'm not even messing with you. I met so many more friendships and just love than I did the last 3 years of my life combined. Like wow. it was insane. Cuz cuz in that event because the the barrier to entry is so high and by high I don't mean price. Tickets like 300 bucks, not that bad. The challenge and the reason that people are so high quality there is because it's a huge commitment to fly out to a random place on earth, to be there for three days, take time away from all of your other commitments to be there. Which means these are the super fans of the super fans. So it's like this weird utopian society where everyone <laughs> listens to the show and everyone is supportive and everyone's friendly and positive. So basically the lesson here is it's it's never been easier than it is today to find your tribe to find the people that you want to click with the most and another more funny example like to give here i guess it's not funny since it was oh, funny now but anyways let me keep going let, <laughs> sure. let, let, let's assume that you like pen collecting right you like collecting pens yeah. It's something you're into and obviously i mean it's a weird thing to do so a lot of friends around you are like uh that's odd so they don't want to talk about your pens they don't care So my advice to that person, let's call her Julia, is don't spend your life. Don't waste it just staying in that same city. Spend the hundreds of dollars you would have went to Cuba with or even less and fly out to one of the biggest pen collecting conferences in the world. And I guarantee you, when you geek out about pens with literally anybody who's sitting there, you will build stronger, more meaningful relationships than you would have if you never went at all. I guarantee, even if you go alone, I went to Summit alone and next year when covid's over i'm just going to go to every personal development conference that's where i meet the people that i enjoy speaking with so take the extra step that no one else is willing to take
0: wow wow that is so good that's so true that is so so true uh yeah i <laughs> i'm thinking like about just my immediate i mean i definitely have a lot of people the the, the close i Maybe I'm just one of these people that um, it's hard for me to maintain close friendships if there isn't a level of commonality about one of the fundamentally, like, offbeat, fringy kind of things that I'm into. But I also agree with you that if you do want to believe that there is a world where you fit in out there, like it's out there go for it um and and it's something i wish i could do more and i i hope uh, after all this in the world like calms down I, I will be able to pursue more of the people like you and and uh you know healers and spiritual minded people and stuff like that that at the very least i i'm more in tune with because it's it is very hard for people to see that you do have a tribe sometimes it's it's funny the way humans work i mean i I don't know if you ever like here's a deep question for you like do you think it's like the hero's journey that we're play like no one wakes up in a tribe of pen collectors like mom isn't a pen collector dad (laughs) is like like that we have to kind of go outside of our immediate to like find the tribe like that's what i wonder i feel like it has to be in some ways
1: I agree to to a very large extent to what you're saying, Craig. And the reason is because the more you start to question your life and everything, you start to realize that you're a lot different than everyone else around you. And this is normal because you're, you've are you been exposed to a very small percentage of everyone who's currently alive. Right? So a so good way of explaining this is your, your, your friends from high school. Sure, they were great. But then five years later, they pro- probably don't want to read the same books that you do. They probably won't do the same things that you do. And that's not because they're bad people. It's just that interests change over time and people change over time. So that's why generally speaking, that tribe, Almost always exists outside of your local city and in this weird part of the world where you kind of have to get to. But but I think the general idea here to keep things simple for people because people might not want to go to Iceland for a pen collecting conference. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Even if you know you could just go to the US and an event there. But the point I'm driving here is all it takes is to know one person in the tribe that you seek. If you know one person, they'll just introduce you to everyone else. So when I when I didn't like when I didn't get to go to Summit of Greatness this year, which was very unfortunate. I was very sad about that because it was canceled and yeah. it was a virtual event. I didn't just leave it at that. I attended the virtual one. I got, I still got to meet two, three people from the community, which is awesome. But I did what most people don't do, which is just ask those people, hey, Julia, who else do you know in the Summit community that you think is interesting that I can talk to? They go, oh, you got to meet, Craig, you got to meet Matt. And then they make an intro and then I meet them and I'm just like, wow, where have you been my whole life?
0: <laughs> yes. Same thing. Easy. Yes. All,
1: all you need is one person in the tribe that you seek and the rest will figure itself out
0: wow 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 yes uh i want to go back to like bad public speaking advice for a second um (laughs) i love it i'm curious more about what you think but you know what um let's talk one of the most important books i read uh my father actually was like greg when i was in fifth grade he said greg read this book or read it twice it'll change your life was dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people uh you referenced it earlier i've seen you reference it in the video um how much of that this stuff does hold up now because i've heard people criticize some of it it's a little you know i mean it d- does come from another time but like which of dale carnegie's stuff are you a fan of and what would you say well this could be adapted now for more for better usage in contemporary era
1: Right. And I always love to be transparent here. So I respect Dale's work and everything that he does, but I actually haven't read the book yet. So I
0: haven't no, read that's it. fair. <laughs>
1: yeah. I haven't read the book. I, I mention it sometimes. The reason I do is not really to quote his stuff, but mostly to explain the thesis for master talk. So, so the reason I mentioned Dale is, is the unfortunate story of, of Carnegie is he was born in the wrong time period of history. So what I mean by that is, we only have a book to remember him by, or a couple of books, but we don't have a YouTube channel. We don't have a podcast oh. episode he was on. We don't even his audiobook isn't isn't done by him because he just wasn't born in that period of time. Which means the greatest lessons that we could have gotten from public school from the guy himself, we couldn't get. That's why I got really lucky in the sense that I was one of the youngest speech coaches in the world. And I just happen to be born in an era where the cost of production, the cost of doing this is pretty much zero. So that means that when I die, people can learn from me forever and also have a reference on how an actual speaker speaks like, right? So yeah. that's that's why I always reference Dale. But yeah, Dale's book is on my checklist. I'm not avoiding it. I just uh, I just so I just got to lessons it are just
0: like common knowledge. They're out there. I mean, I, I think the number one I still use it is, um, you know, the pow- most powerful, the sweetest sounding word in the world is your name. Right. which you know you've definitely referenced my name a couple times during this and I know that I um for some people that's like oh I need to like say Greg or Brendan over and over and consciously make that a habit in order to do it but at a certain point I just started doing it pretty naturally um definitely I think that holds up smiling when you're on the phone um uh, I I think that definitely holds up the first lesson in the book don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Here's what I'll say about this. Mm. I think there's a case for public speakers to have a message that might sound like a criticism, but then win a crowd back. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that, like like how to make a, a message that stands out and might be polarizing, but doesn't completely like operate from a negative vibrational space.
1: Right. And we're on the same page here, but let me add a bit more nuance. Dale's right in many ways. And the reason he is, is not necessarily because you shouldn't complain or you should always agree with people or you should never criticize people, but because that's how most humans operate. I know that's a hard truth to swallow for most of us. It's just the truth. Like, for example, if if you're a Republican, you're not a Republican, generally speaking, because you want to be one. It's because everyone else around you was one. If you were born, yes. a, if you're a Democrat, the main reason is because every, you grew up with Democrats. But at the end of the day, it, if you really look at the policy of both parties, it, it's pretty similar. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, right, right. We're, we're both watching the same Netflix shows, we're both eating the same hamburgers. Like we're both, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so when we understand that the difference actually isn't major at all. We also start to realize that human beings in general do not like to be criticized. So it, let's say you take me as an example. I'm the opposite of that. Anyone who sweets talks me, I hate them. Like I was like, you clearly, like I, I just get, I, like I'm really aggressive with my feedback. I'm, that's why I'm very peculiar of who gets into my coaching programs because I also think like, you just can't handle somebody like me. But you'll also realize Craig, right. The way I'm speaking to you, right? now, I usually don't go here, but I just like the way the conversation is going. The, notice how the way I'm speaking to you right now, which is very real and authentic, is actually very different than the way I speak in my YouTube channel, huh. and, right? I never swear. I'm very PR. I keep yeah. my examples pretty you know, high level, but very understandable, very good. But the reason I do that is not because I want to hide myself. It's because I want to appeal to the largest group of people. Right. I just want, you know, whether you're religious, a religious, political, not political. I don't care. As long as you have an idea to share, I want to be that vehicle for you. Right. So that's why I do it on purpose. But I'm on a podcast. I just kind of just be who I am. Right. So so it's it's I agree with Dale. But I think the the added layer to that conversation is it also depends on who you want to click with. So let's say if your goal is to like if you're someone who likes to always be around yes people who don't want to tell you the truth. And most people won't admit that, but okay, fair enough. Yes, yes. Then, then you'll do that naturally. But for someone like me, that would never fly. If nobody's criticizing me in my circle, they shouldn't be in my circle. Right? They're they're just a fan, not a not a not an ally that is actually gonna throw me against the wall and make sure that I get my my stuff done.
0: Yeah. Wow. Did did you watch <laughs> I have to ask you, I mean, I know this is political, but did you watch Mike Pence and Kamala Harris the other night? I didn't
1: actually No, I, I. And by the way, I'll tell you why I, the reason I avoid politics is not because uh, I don't talk about it, but rather because uh, politics, I think there's a better use of our time. Like at the end of the day, Craig, whether you vote Republican or Democrat isn't going to change your life. It isn't. Mm. I think you should vote. Voting is important. You know, you got to assess your right to do so, yeah. but it's not going to like your podcast isn't going to change. Your day-to-day tasks are going to change. The policies aren't going to change by left or right, like all the way, right? So yeah. you, you need to kind of think about, okay, if I'm spending three hours listening to this, am I better off investing that time in that po- political um, you know, TV thing? Or do I take that three hours and I read a book or prepare for a guest? Or get this ready. So, for example, for me, I always think of it like, how do? What's a better use of my time? If I can't make a dent in politics, I might as well use that three hours and write three YouTube scripts because that's what I can get the ball rolling forward, right?
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask. Your stuff seems pretty. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you do you usually script everything, or uh, do you ever yeah, do yeah. any off the cuff stuff?
1: Absolutely. It, I actually, you, I actually, you're right. You're absolutely right. I actually write everything. Had, everything's handwritten by myself and I've actually written my content probably three years ahead of schedule now. So I'm currently writing 2023 right now.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say your stuff has a really nice presentational uh, tone to it. I was going to ask because, um, you know, a lot of people, well, okay. I, I was going to say with, with the debate, Mike Pence to me gave a great example of good public speaking uh, not the most the nicest, like you know, he wasn't really the nicest to the the big criticism is that he stepped on. He was mansplaining to Kamala Harris and you know to people these days that feel like women have been treated poorly by like uh you know white men as in particular in the workplace environment that triggered a lot of people. Um, but I thought it was a good example of the way good public speaking skills, like in particular his case could just make it seem like you were still giving good answers, even though maybe what you were saying had nothing to do with the questions being asked or was truthful at all. And I want to talk to you about the dark side of public speaking for a second (laughs) off of that. Um, What do you do? Because there are charismatic people out there that are good communicators. Do you have a way you recommend people can discern between like the people that are talking pure BS and the people that are actually like have a message worth spreading
1: yeah no that's that's a great question and honestly uh, even i have trouble with this like discerning everybody who's who's good from bad so i think the only approach is to really think about what other smart people are saying about that individual as a group okay so Hmm. let's say for example I don't know. One of the people that I like a lot and I follow is a guy named Seth Godin, who you're probably familiar with. Yeah, you know he's been the author of what like 19 bestsellers. Super smart yes. guy. I'm religious about his podcast. If there's anything religious about it, it's well listening to Kimbo every week. But but I think the the idea with Seth, not many people talk bad about Seth. Like he, everyone says good things about him. Yeah, very smart yes. people in particular say good things about him. Everyone interviews him. Everyone wants them on his show. And there's good reason for it. His, his content is just gold, right? So what I do is, and I think everyone should do this more often, maybe not entirely or at the extreme that I do, is I don't follow the news. I follow what specific individuals think about how the world should be that I think have a very balanced approach on it that informs my perspective on on how I go about and advance my dreams, right? So So Seth doesn't look at the world and say, you need to write a book you need to do this. No, he goes, okay, look, you have ideas worth sharing. You need to share them. What is the best medium for you that makes the most sense? And he kind of builds in his own frameworks that, make, that are super interesting and thoughtful. Yeah. So I think the key is picking the right heroes, picking the right mentors and allowing them to guide you towards the objectives you want to get. And I think a general rule of thumb that can help people think through this is never listen to somebody who doesn't have the result. Always make sure that the person you're listening to has the result that you want. So good example, like in relationships is if you're a busy entrepreneur, like you make you work 80 hours a week, okay, you can't listen and you want a 30 year, you want a very successful long term marriage, you can't go listening to someone who has had a successful marriage, but they were both teachers nine to five, and they had dinner every night, that just won't work. Because yeah. you're an entrepreneur, you're working 80 hours a week that, that you have to go to somebody like Kobe Bryant and see how he used to manage his family life. Those are the people you need to be learning from. But the opposite is also true. If you're a teacher, don't listen to the entrepreneur because you'll be freaked out. You're like, why is this guy working at midnight? Right? He'll <laughs> be like, no. Yes. So, so the key is. Pick the people that have the result that you have, whether you know them or not, and follow them. It, it's same with me. If I don't know how to speak, I don't expect anyone to listen to me. But I also don't expect you to listen to my advice on how to grow pickles, or I don't even know how that works, or grow yeah. you know vegetables in a garden. I don't know that stuff, so don't listen to me on those topics.
0: Wow, yeah, totally, totally. I'm I'm so with you about that. Uh, do you think there are like what what would you say are the most common uh what are the flubs? Like right now if you were like, Greg, if 90% of the population came to me with this one public speaking common error uh fixed, I mean, I would be spending a lot less time with these people. Like what are the what are the <laughs> most like what do you encounter the most?
1: I'll give you the easiest one is understanding how to practice. So let's, let's think of public speaking like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, those thousand piece puzzles you used to do as a kid, those little mini bite-sized pieces that you put together with your family and stuff. Yeah. Right. So, so if I asked you the question, Craig, when you, when you work on a puzzle yourself, what, where do you start and why?
0: Mm, I I would think the corners. And why is that? Because the corners give you the most leverage in terms of how you're going to actually uh, frame the, the end result.
1: Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves, and you, you did that so well for me. You fell right into us. Perfect. The question Good. is, <laughs> why don't we do that in public speaking? You know, well, so we have two days to prepare for a presentation. So what do we do? We shove a bunch of content. In other words, we start with the middle pieces of the puzzle and then we get to the last slide of our presentation we go uh yeah so thanks and then the presentation (laughs) ends yes whereas instead much like in theater or any other form of art really you need to start with the edges practice your introduction 50 to 100 times it'll take you an hour it won't take you that long right because it's a minute you a minute 50 times you do the same thing with the conclusion because what's a great movie with a terrible ending, a terrible movie. So do yes. the same thing with the conclusion, practice a conclusion 50 to hundred times. And then when you're done that, you'll look at yourself and go, wow, I'm a pretty good speaker. I've never done an introduction like this before and then tackle the middle. But remember much like the thousand piece puzzles that you do with your friends, you never try and do the puzzle alone. It's boring. It's daunting. It's frightful. So do it with somebody else. I never practice my keynotes alone. I have friends, buddies. They're not speech coaches. They're just people who are critical. Do the same thing with their presentations. That tip alone will make you a top 10% speaker. Nobody does it that way.
0: Wow. Wow. Do you like the TED Talk speakers? Do you think overall they're doing a good job?
1: I, I do. I do think overall they're doing a good job. I think the only issue I have with TED in general is not the institution it's not the speakers it's the way ideas are shared so for example uh let's say somebody gives a talk on um the science of something new they they mostly talk about the dangers or the flaws or what's wrong with it but they don't propose a solution and end the talk right so i don't like that but that's not true for all ted talks But that's the only con i give it in general i think uh most uh, the institution is pretty well thought out though
0: yeah yeah would you um how would you create a new public speaking event what's like the dream brendan led public speaking (laughs) event of ideas like what does that look like
1: man i never thought of like my own version of ted it's it's not it's not in the calendar of my uh, (laughs) but 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 i'll brainstorm with you i think i think the way i see it and everyone's got their own thing but i think for me the goal is to get to every human being who wants to learn how to speak and learn how to speak regardless of whether or not they, they can afford me, right? Because like, there's so many great ideas out there and it's just so many people who struggle communicating them because remember the breakthrough Craig, somebody said this really well, is only half the battle just because you have the great idea, just because you can execute the idea doesn't mean it's going to be shared if you can't communicate it properly. So for me, what, what's always made the most sense is going, okay. What other people's audiences can I leverage, even if there's seven people because I have I guess that thought leadership or whatever you want to call me. Uh, right. I have I have the open loops, I don't know, whatever it is <laughs> yes. uh, I can, I, It's a lot easier much like a Seth God. obviously I'm not Seth's level yet, but I hope to be there in the next decade or two, is this idea of so many people are always at, or asking me to be on their shows that I can just pick and choose the biggest platforms. And I don't have to worry about creating my own event, only spreading my ideas to as many millions of people as I can before I run out of breath. That's the, that's the strategy I'm opting for. Though That could change though.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you know what? I was wondering, I mean, you've had you you've worked with I mean IBM and McGill University and upstarted like very, you know, great big institutions. Um and I'm curious about this because you know what in your when you lead workshops, one of the things it says is that you are able to secure quick wins for your audience. Um and then quickly convince them that communication can be mastered at any level like that to me already feels like e- how even if you didn't get them to be able to be good at public speaking, convincing them that you could feels like a win to me. Um, yeah, t- tell me the secret <laughs> like, what does that look like? How does an audience sit there and be like, uh, this guy's so good? How can I, how do I believe that I, how would I believe that I'm able to based on watching you speak?
1: it it's tricky absolutely craig and and my hope is that i can do this at scale but the but the, through the youtube channel anyways but but the idea generally speaking is is i just talk about my own vulnerabilities i mean uh, like if you like my origin stories it's pretty weird if you think about it the guy who, who had to speak in french his whole life is probably the most nervous person there is in the world about public speaking and if i could manage it imagine what people in their language that they actually know how to speak in could do. So, so yeah. that's one facet of it. Another one is just proving to that that through an easy example that they can be great speakers. So through the framework I just walked you through that I call the, the puzzle method, I generally take somebody in the workshop, make them do an introduction, and then change things in the introduction as I'm speaking to them. And in five minutes, that introduction becomes like a world-class introduction. And everyone else in the audience is just dumbfounded. They just go, whoa, what just happened? And <sighs> then the third thing is just, a, I, I do a little poking fun at my audience. Like my most successful client is actually six years old. Not many people know this, wow. but I also coach a lot of my executives as kids. So, and and she's like she's like, she just turned seven and she's one of the best speakers I've ever met ever like i've ever coached like better than people who do this for a living better wow. than executives so when people see that video they kind of just go okay well if that kid can do it now i just look bad i need to figure this out
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool that is that is awesome is that is that video on uh or do you is that on youtube or do you ever just
1: i'll, I'll send it to you but no i have i don't have it posted yet but i, I will soon
0: that's awesome. That's, that's very cool. Uh, now I, now I forget the question I was going to ask you. Shoot, <laughs> shoot, shoot. No, I mean, I think <laughs> I'm totally just going to vamp right now as if I'm a great public speaker just to get my question back on track. Um, Let's see, uh, Brendan. Well, uh, how do you deal with silence? What if you're in the <laughs> moment and you don't know the question? <laughs> do you have a way of gracefully uh, vamping?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. So, so the way that you want to think about this, Craig, is whenever you don't know an answer or what to say next, you always want to replace it with nothing. Most speakers, like you just demonstrated, go, oh no, uh, uh, yeah, so I don't really know <laughs> what to say next. So Brendan, help me out. Or you could just say this. So Brendan, tell us about silences and why they're important. Notice how it's the same thing that you just said, pretty much. But since the the space, I didn't fill it with filler words, it sounds very confident. They go, wow, Craig's such a great speaker. Even if you're using that time in your head to go, hey, uh, what am I supposed to say now? (laughs) I just
0: went through the journey with you. I like self-coached and then talked myself out of it and then kind of turned it into a question there you um, go
1: well <laughs> you're like a great speaker now that was like a 10x improvement right there <laughs>
0: hey thank you for your help I appreciate it <laughs> now so look I think, you're, I think you're doing some cool stuff oh this is what I was going to say I'm glad it comes back after you kind of drop into something I think in general by the way that uh, that's one of the things that I think is key for people to understand the letting go of things sometimes just means it's going to come um, I think that's true in public speaking as it is in in all things in life um so what came back to me somebody made a comment i was gonna say i found this so offensive they were like wow under one of your videos they were like brendan you you're so good at english and at the beginning of this you were like greg i spoke english so I'm like, why is that? Oh, oh, uh, don't worry. Don't,
1: let, let me kind of explain the context in that comment. Going back to remember, another thing, even if it was offensive, don't worry too much. Like you're going to get that all the time. But what he yeah. meant in particular was um, he probably, because a lot of my audience is from India. So oh, they, they probably think my first language is Hindi or Urdu. So they, that I, I'm pretty sure that person didn't mean it as offense. They're just really impressed by my English because they're thinking their initial belief system is that English is a second language because it is for them. So, so that's I've gotten much worse than that. That's not a hate comment at all. <laughs> I was like, what is this?
0: This is so rude. Yeah, um, <laughs> don't worry.
1: Yeah, what but... you demonstrated, though, is, is why we need to all be better communicators right because now what if everyone was a great communicator those issues would even come up
0: oh that's that's true right that that's is what, a good point and
1: that's the thesis behind the channel if I, if we can all live in a world where all of us are comfortable sharing what we thought and creating spaces where people just share ideas and there's no like backlash to them that are too offensive like the world would just be better know we can actually sit down as republicans as democrats or whatever you are and just figure out how to make the world a better place for everybody.
0: Yeah, why are you why are you keeping it all in Canada, man? Yeah. You go to you go to Columbus, Ohio like that's not the place we need you. We need you to come to the US straightened us out um also i think you just proved to my listeners why we should all move to canada no matter what happens this election. um
1: yeah we keep y- it simple in canada we just vote for our prime minister because he's handsome and we all just <laughs> sing by, yeah, that's it
0: do you have any um do you have any public speakers that you really like like maybe you know everybody says ML martin luther king uh ronald reagan people loved i mean bill clinton barack obama uh you know, those are just the most common, at least, names I popularly hear in the U.S. Like, who are some of your favorite public speakers that you would recommend people watch to learn and be inspired?
1: Yeah. And, and one thing I always push when I get this question is uh, my, my list is highly, highly subjective. right? So something to take with the greatest salt. But my, my favorite speaker of all time is a guy named Scott Harrison. He's the CEO of Charity Water which is a oh. nonprofit he, he started to help the world uh, gain access to clean drinking water. And to be honest, technically he's, he's not really the best speaker in the world, but I think what he emphasizes is why we all need to be great speakers, which is to solve important problems. And he has this quote that he shared in one of his podcast interviews that always stuck by me. The quote goes something like this. The goal is not to live forever, but to create something that will. And when I, when I heard that, I was just like, Whoa, that's a, that's a, that's deep. Like, uh, it really made me think about my legacy. So, and we, and, and the point here is public speaking is outcome-based at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how great of a speaker you are. If you get the goals that you want in the speech, you win, right? You win the game. So. As long as you focus on those outcomes, and Scott has achieved those outcomes tenfold, I mean, he's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for for Charity Water, and his book is also incredible as well. But, But the idea is if you achieve the outcomes, you win. So keep focusing on the outcomes, keep making them better, and slowly inch yourself until you get there.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's why I was actually hoping to ask you that question because I knew the answer wasn't going to just be like, oh well, Barack Obama's one of the best or like these common examples. Like I knew that you'd have like a more nuanced sort of, yeah, it's not who you think it is. Um, and I- I'm happy it was. I- I'll definitely check out Scott's work. I- I'm fascinated by that idea of someone that's not you know it it almost says you're saying like like a substance over style in some ways but the substance is so impactful that it makes up for any flaws in the style um yeah don't you have a video you do have a video about like content versus delivery um or something like that like like what wins in the end does it have to be both can you get rid of a little style over substance or can substance beat style like like who wins? Let's the debate right now. Final question. <laughs> Sizzle or steak? Where do you lie? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, Absolutely. So so there's actually an easy way of breaking this um, argument once and for all. Think back to all of your high school presentations, your teachers, you know, the people around you, the history classes. How much of that stuff do you actually remember?
0: Oh, I, I—it's more sizzle for me than steak. <laughs> it definitely is with those. Right? Yes. So you don't
1: remember the content, right? So let's let's dive into that a bit more. So those high school teachers aren't stupid, right? They're super well educated. A lot of them have master's degrees, PhDs. Very incredibly intelligent people. Yet for some reason, we don't remember anything. But the opposite is also true. Even if you're one of the best speakers in the world. Like if I use Scott in this case, if you asked me to recite a speech, I wouldn't be able to do that either. If you asked me seven takeaways, it would be really hard for me to come up with seven, but I could give you three good ones. Maybe. Because he's the best. So Mm. where does this lead us? It leads us to the following conclusion. No matter how good you are at your content people will only retain one or two key ideas. So if your goal is to spread ideas that matter and to make a difference, you need to spend at least 90% of your time on the delivery.
0: Huh? Wow. Wow. You know what? I had you on. I knew I, like I said at the beginning, I knew this wasn't going to be like a like, oh, we're going to talk about like multiple dimensions and all this (laughs) kind of like stuff that I don't really entertain. But at the same time, uh, the biggest credit I could say to you, Brendan, is like a very entertaining to listen to. I I, I think you're great at what you do and I think your message is fantastic. And two, I, I do think you did expand. Uh, my mind today and you know what i i hope that's a a good testimonial for you because it's uh yeah it doesn't just sound like you're doing run of the mill like i said at the beginning like stand up on a stage and eye contact and all that kind of <laughs> stuff like i love that you're going into having a deeper conversation about this and i'm really happy that you came on today to share some of that with me
1: of course craig the honor was mine thanks for having me
0: absolutely <laughs> <laughs> open loops, open loops open loops, open loops. Psst, open loops. <laughs> Open Loops, you must listen to The Open Loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. (laughs) Open Loops.